Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a functional medicine practitioner. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the world's first functional medicine telehealth centers over a decade ago, and my passion is to discover what's the underlying components to why people are struggling with different health issues. We deal a lot with people with autoimmune problems, different inflammatory problems, chronic fatigue syndrome, different hormonal problems, digestive issues, Lyme disease, co-infections to Lyme, mold mycotoxins. Those are my people, people that are really struggling with silent health problems, meaning they look fine on the outside, they look great on the outside, but people don't know what it takes just to get through the day. And it can be quite an isolating thing. And to be a part of their health journey is very, very important thing to me and something that I take extremely seriously and we love our patients so much. So this show, The Art of Being Well, is an outpouring of that passion of functional medicine and nutrition and wellness. If you love that stuff, welcome home. This is an exploration of all facets of wellness. I've written a few books about these topics as well. My first book is called Ketotarian. Second book is called The Inflammation Spectrum. And my newest book recently came out. It's called Intuitive Fasting. And if you want to learn more about my books, the telehealth center, my clinical practice, check it all out at drwillcole.com. That's D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. Let's get to today's guests. We actually have two guests today to geek out with me about all things gut health, the microbiome. Oh my gosh, this compelling science around this topic is, I think you will love it. Actually, I don't think I know. I am talking with Tina Anderson and Karan Krishan. Tina Anderson is the CEO and co-founder of Just Thrive. And you're going to learn all about Just Thrive in today's conversation. Tina Anderson's journey into the world of health had a unique start and some unusual turns. She began her career as a trial lawyer who specialized in settling cases by bringing both sides together, a personal passion of hers. One 
once her second child arrived, Tina left that high-stress job behind so she could focus on her family. Luckily, she was still able to use her considerable legal skills to point her career in a new direction as the in-house counsel for a family pharmaceutical company. But what Tina saw there made her change direction again. Frustrated by the many abuses in the pharmaceutical industry, Tina turned toward the field of natural health and found her life's work. She channeled her energy into learning all she could about disease prevention and good health maintenance. That led her to discover the importance of gut health and how connected and crucial it is for overall health and wellness. We are talking to Tina, who is a wealth of knowledge, and also to Karan Krishan, who is the lead microbiologist behind Just Thrive. Kiran Krishan is a research microbiologist whose focus is the human microbiome and wellness. With his particular expertise in the newest frontier in microbiology, gut commensal spore bacteria, Kiran is a frequent lecturer largely to national and international medical audiences, but also as an expert guest on live radio, satellite podcasts, and many autism conferences. Coming from a strict research background in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa, over the last 17 years, Karan has conducted dozens of human clinical trials, which we talk a lot about them in today's conversation, and human nutrition through the clinical research organization he established. In addition to his recently published groundbreaking leaky gut study showing reversal of gut dysfunction within 30 days, Karan is currently involved in nine other ongoing human clinical trials testing the effect of gut commensal spore probiotics on many conditions, including thyroid and Hashimoto's issues, autoimmune thyroid problems, irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, and liver failure, as well as a longer, more extensive leaky gut trial. Karan brings his extensive knowledge and practical application of the latest science on the human microbiome as it relates to health and wellness. My two fellow gut nerds, I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Tina and Karan. Tina, Kieran, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. I'm I'm excited to geek out on all things gut health and all the amazing stuff that you both are doing. So can we start with just telling the audience a little bit about yourselves and how did Just Thrive come to be? Sure, um, I could start. Um, I um, was in the pharmaceutical industry for many years with my husband and um, saw a lot of the abuses in the industry and kind of, um, we were excited when we first joined the industry because we're like, we're delivering life-saving medications. We're kind of making a change in the world. And after being in the industry for many years, we started to see that it's a great place for acute type situations, for emergency medications, but not necessarily for chronic conditions. And so we saw a lot of the abuses, the overprescribing of medications kind of firsthand. We saw it with relatives and we just decided that we wanted to do something different. We wanted to do something that was more in line with the way we lived our lives. We're very passionate about empowering people to take control of their own health and, you know, much like yourself. And we um, just decided to start looking into another field and through um, a colleague of my husband's and and we got to meet Karan, which has been amazing. And we were able to um, license these exclusive strains of uh, probiotic strains from London University um, out of Royal Holloway, London University. And so 
from there, Just Thrive was born and it's been the most gratifying career journey I've ever been on. There's no doubt. It's great. How about you, Kiran? You know, mine is a, a conventional story of, of boy meets bugs and falls in madly in love with uh, things you can't see. <laughs> a, a mad love for microbes. I love it. Exactly. Total nerd. But for me, I, I was always, uh, even as a kid, very much into science. I had the curiosity, the, the demand to know, understand the world around me. My parents were both scientists of different sorts. My mom's a medical doctor. My dad was a electronics engineer. And so they had both sides of like that scientific mind, right? The math the, and the soft science. I decided to go into microbiology as my field of study. What fascinated me about microbiology is coming to learn about this immense universe that exists in, on us, all around us that impacts us in such a profound way that we cannot see, we cannot really touch and feel. And, you know, it's not really tangible, right? But it's here and it's so profound. And being able to have the knowledge base and the techniques and the understanding to delve into that world and explore it and figure out how it impacts me was like a mind-boggling thing for me that was a perfect fit. For the, the, for the kind of brain that I have, right? So, uh, and then when the Human Microbiome Project came along back in 2007 or so, and we started to really realize how complex of a universe that really is within us and how influential it is on our health and wellness, it became an easy decision for me to dedicate my professional work towards understanding the microbiome, studying it, teaching about it, which is a huge part of what I love to do. And then developing products that help play with the bacteria to modulate it and use the power of the bacteria to make change for ourselves. So it was a great natural fit when I got to meet Tina and Billy. And Tina and Billy had such a passion for this industry and wanting to put something out there that made a difference in people. So it was a kind of a nerd fantasy to be able to find partners who are so passionate and willing to go out there and invest both time and money to take product to people that need it. What you guys are coming out with is so innovative, so thoughtful. And as a functional medicine clinician, I see on an almost hourly basis on labs and just in patients' health in their lives, the impact that gut health or lack thereof, the impact that's having on how they feel and the quality of life. But most people are so disconnected. And, and, I, and it's interesting as a functional medicine practitioner over the past decade, I've I've seen the growing awareness around this, but still I'm in my own little bubble and it's, I realize still there's a massive information gap and a lack of education about the importance of gut health and really connecting and uh, making people aware that digestion and gut health, yes, it's about digestion, but it's so much more than that. And you referred to it brilliantly as this, this beautiful, massive environment. There's far-reaching implications to gut health. Can you talk a little bit about that, the far-reaching importance of gut health? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think some of the things that'll really help people understand and wrap their head around it is understanding how minuscule we are in our capabilities, right? So let's look at our genetics, for example. We've known for a long time that our genes dictate function and you know epigenetics will determine how your body responds to things and so on. And of course, genes code for all the physical properties and things that we could see from one another, right? Hair color, eye color, all of that stuff. But we've got like somewhere around 22,000 functional genes in our chromosomes. 
And that sounds like a lot until you realize that an earthworm has about 38,000 functional genes. You know, so we are far less sophisticated than an earthworm is. And the same with like a rice plant that has almost 40,000 functional genes and a human being with the most complex creature on earth, top of the food chain, top of the evolutionary ladder has 22,000 functional genes. So we are really wholly inadequate when it comes to our capability to be a human. And that was realized around the uh, early 2000s at the end of the Human Genome Project. The estimation was that we're going to code the entire human genome and we're going to find a gene for every disease that we're dealing with, right? This is a heart disease gene. This is a diabetes gene. This is that gene. They estimated somewhere around 250,000 functional genes to code for all of this stuff we do. And there was this massive gap and you go, well, how in the hell are we functioning with 22,000 genes, right? We barely have enough to get by. And as it turns out, the Human Microbiome Project illustrated for us very clearly that we have over three and a half million microbial genes in our system, 150 times more bacterial and other microbe DNA in our system than human DNA. So the vast majority of our functionality comes from microbial genetics. We would cease to function if all of that microbial genetics was taken away. So there are estimates around 80, 90% of every uh, of metabolic function in every human comes from microbial DNA. At any given time, about 50% of all the molecules circulating in your blood right now came from microbes making them for you, right? Not from us digesting it, creating it ourselves, assimilating it from food and so on. So the microbes are in charge. They are the ones pulling the strings. They know how this system is supposed to function. And they will be your best friend in terms of health, wellness, vibrance, resilience, or in an imbalanced situation, they are the biggest driver of disease. We're in a spectrum here somewhere, right? If you have the right microbes, the right balance and all that, it's going to be the most powerful aspect of your health and wellness. If you have the wrong ones, it's going to be the biggest driver of disease. That powerful. We are sort of, in a way, the sophisticated symbiotic host for the microbiome. Is that fair to say? Yeah. In fact, there's a term for it. It's called a holobiont. So a holobiont is a super organism, right? That's what a human being actually is. We are a walking, talking rainforest, if you will. And a holobiont comes about from a process called symbiogenesis. So your audience is picking up a lot of super nerdy terms to impress their friends with, but holobiont being a super organism comes from this process of symbiogenesis where you have multiple species of different types of organisms, including humans, that are forced to co-evolve because of geographical proximity, right? So we've been together with these microbes for millions of years. Eventually, we develop a symbiotic relationship where we go, okay, you do this, I'll do that, you do this, I'll do that, and you kind of divide and conquer the space. And then the human system is one of the most perfect examples of this amazing symbiogenic holobiont system. Our system is driven by and controlled by an ecology, right? And when we disrupt that ecology, we get disease. The research around this genetic epigenetic mismatch and what we're doing to the microbiome, as you're saying, this disruption of something that we've evolved with and regulates so many pathways in the body. Can you talk a little bit about what we're doing today in our world that's disrupting this foundation of health that governs so much in our system. 
one of the scariest things to me. And, and honestly, the thing that kind of keeps me up at night more is this issue of mass extinction that we're facing, right? And I'll, I'll delve a little bit deeper into that. But what we've essentially done is, you know, I, I mentioned we're walking, talking rainforest. So what we are is this amazing microbial construct, right? We're made up of microbes. We're run by microbes. We depend on microbes. And we've taken this beautiful microbial construct and we've put it in an antimicrobial world. Right. Everything around us works against us. The water we drink, you know, with the chlorine and fluoride and all that in there acts as an antimicrobial. Most of the food we eat are covered with herbicides and pesticides and so on, all of which are strong antimicrobials. We, of course, completely overuse antibiotics, both in as prescriptions or in food processing, in cattle farming, all of these areas. So we're exposing ourselves to an awful lot of things like antibiotics. We're also inundated with plastics, things like BPA and all that, that, that are actually all strong antimicrobials and disrupt the ecosystem. You know, and then, of course, you, you go outside and your neighbor is using Roundup around his or her garden, right? All of that's running off into your own drinking water. So we are surrounded and virtually most personal care products are loaded with chemicals and preservatives and all of that stuff that really has never been tested against our microbiome, right? So when you look at food safety testing, when you look at consumer product testing, all of these tests were developed in the 1950s and 60s. It would meet those kind of standards, which is a standard in the 1950s and 60s, then it's deemed to be safe. Well, now we know that we are created in a much more significant and complex manner than we understood in the 50s and 60s, but we're still not testing products that we put in and on us by a new standard, right? So not surprisingly, most of the things we consume, put on us, in us, around us, kill off microbes and favor the growth of opportunistic and, and problematic microbes. So we're really kind of shooting ourselves in the foot every single day. Here's the other big part of it is our lack of exposure to natural environments, right? That's a big part of our osmosis with the natural world, our ability to engage with microbes in the natural world and pick up some of them as travelers. And in fact, we deposit some to the natural world. And so this osmosis is so important. That's how we've evolved over millions of years to create this really important ecosystem. And we have lost in the last probably five decades, almost half of the microbial inhabitants that humans evolved to have over the last three to five million years, right? So if you study the tribes in Papua New Guinea that had the hunter-gatherer tribes, they have roughly double the number of species that we currently harbor in the Western world. So we've lost lots of those species and they've identified some that are no longer found in modern, you know, in, in uh, metropolitan humans, but are probably the most prevalent in those tribes. And then they've isolated those species and they found that those species confer all kinds of health benefits that we no longer have, right? And, and when you lose big groups of microbes, you lose critical functionality. And the big problem with that is every generation is being born with fewer and fewer microbes. To me, the analogy I use, it's like saying, oh, the next generation of kids are going to be born without a spleen. And then the one after that without a gallbladder, right? Imagine we're just dropping organs and losing organs. It's the same thing, right? These microbes are that critical. And so that mass extinction of the ecosystem that has been handed to us after 3 million years of evolution, and we're supposed to be stewards of those and passing those on to the next generation of humans, we're depleting them based on our, our lifestyle and this 
so much evidence of this, these transgenerational effects on fertility and mood disorders and all that from what we're doing now. Okay, So it's scary when you really think about it. It is. There's this evolutionary mismatch that's going on. I agree. Like the Hadza research is so exciting. I, I, I don't want to get up too much of it on a tangent, but I think the people I know, the listeners of the show right now are loving this. Can you talk a little bit about that? You talk about Papua New Guinea, but can you talk about the Hadza tribe and, and what researchers are looking at? Fortunately, they still exist, hunter-gatherer tribes that represent human lifestyle and human behavior from upwards of 10,000 years ago, right? So these tribes are still living a very tribal lifestyle. They are fortunately not spoiled by too much modernization and commercial development around them. So they're still acting like hunters and gatherers. They're still digging for roots and tubers. They're still going out and hunting and killing an animal like for the Hadza, it's a porcupine that's like real delicacy and reward, right? So the Hadza warrior goes out and then they hunt a porcupine. One of the first things he does once he kills it, he cuts the gut open and eats the contents of the intestines right there on site, right? which is just mind-boggling when you think about it. And they do it because they believe it burdens you virility and strength and all that. And he's eating the microbiome of the porcupine, you know, who's been ruminating and running around all over the ground and picking up all kinds of microbes. And so what they've been doing is really brave microbiologists have been going and living with them and staying with them and looking at their diet and examining their microbiomes and all that. And what they're finding is that those individuals tend to have really diverse microbiomes, lots and lots of species, almost double what we tend to have. It's dictated a lot by their diet and their environment. Even as infants, their microbiomes are really diverse and very and very robust. They basically have complete absence of any sort of GI issues or disease, right? Things like Crohn's, colitis, IBS, SIBO, none of that has ever been detected or reported in these individuals. Those conditions don't exist at all. What's interesting is when the researchers go there and they start living in that environment for a period of six, eight, 10 weeks, their microbiomes start to change and start to become more diverse. And then when they come back to the States, after about two or three weeks, their microbiomes revert back to what it looks like when it's here, right? So less healthy and so on. And in fact, one of the researchers actually went and did a fecal transplant with Hadza stool and was able to retain this really diverse ancestral microbiome for a little bit longer period of time, but it did revert once he was here for a long period of time as well. So it just shows how our environment here naturally selects, or it's really unnaturally selects for the types of species that we have and the low diversity that we have, all of which, which is uh, related to long-term disease. So it's amazing to study the, to be able to study these ancient humans uh, and they're really ancient human behavior. And, and it's very telling of how we evolved and how we developed this amazing relationship with microbes. And it's sad to think in a way, how much time do we have left before those populations are negatively impacted by modernity. I mean, how, totally. how yeah, I and mean, that's what my mind thinks. It can't be that much longer. Totally. I mean, it, you know, a great example of that is um, there were like three cases of COVID in these Amazonian tribes. And it's like, how the hell did COVID get there? But it did, right? And that just shows our pervasiveness into all corners of the world as a modern society, right? We're penetrating everywhere, whether it's physically ourselves being there or it's the water that they're drinking that's coming up there from the city, you know, that's contaminating it or factory that maybe 
50 kilometers away. They may have never seen that factory before, but the factory is dumping things into their water supply and so on. So it is, it's sad that we're going to compromise those societies eventually. They're going to become a little bit more like us. Okinawa is a great example of that, right? If you look at Okinawa, Japan, it's clearly, it was clearly a blue zone. It still kind of is, but once the U.S. military base got established there after World War II, there was a huge decline in the health and longevity in the local Okinawans because of the introduction of fast food and all that kind of stuff in that area, right? So I'm so excited that there are some amazing uh, microbiologists like Jens Walter, for example, who's spending so much time studying the microbiome of these tribes. And in fact, I'm getting to work on a project that he's really the champion of where he's identified a few critical keystone strains that are universally present in the microbiomes of the Papua New Guinea tribe, and he's been able to isolate it. And we're working with it right now to look at, you know, what impact does it have on our microbiome, you know, but it's it's a critically important strain in all of them. And we were missing it completely. And so we're, we've got this concept of kind of rewilding the microbiome, right? How do we take some of the key components that these tribes still hold for us that we're supposed to have? and bring it back into our systems. So the human body, we're this rainforest ecosystem. I'm also fascinated by the research and, and the conversation around the mitochondria. And I think as a functional medicine practitioner, how many of my patients have mitochondrial dysfunctions? And can you talk a little bit about the idea that mitochondria may not be, its origins are not human and may be actually bacterial in nature? So mitochondria are ancient pleiotropic bacteria. And in fact, the human cell or the eukaryotic cell was really formed by a combination of a, of a bacteria, an ancient pleiotropic bacteria that got together with like an archaea. And that combination formed what we now know as a eukaryotic cell. And what's interesting about mitochondria is, of course, it has its own DNA, right, outside of the uh, chromosomal DNA that we hold. And there is a very specific communication between our microbes and our mitochondria. Right? There's something called the microbiome mitochondria gut access. And that access is really important. Let me give you one or two examples of that to illustrate to your listeners how important the connection is. So one of the most important functions about maintaining mitochondrial health is this process of mitophagy, this ability to take damaged mitochondria and then remove it and then actually replace it with good functioning mitochondria. So the mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell, the engine that's always producing ATP and energy for us, as a byproduct of that, it produces a lot of reactive oxygen species and so on. So over time, the mitochondria kind of gets choked up and sick, if you will. And so the process of mitophagy, which is a critically important process at our most core cellular level that keeps us alive, that process has to occur efficiently or we will age and develop disease, right? That it's, that's just the fundamentals of cell, cell biology. If we cannot initiate mitophagy, we will die because our cells will die, our tissue will die, and so on. And we will age really quickly and poorly. So that process of mitophagy is so important. We don't have on our own a very good way of inducing mitophagy. It's not like our body goes, oh, those mitochondria and those muscle cells look like they're really hurting and dying. Here's a genetic thing that turns on to try to get rid of those mitochondria and then replace it with new mitochondria. We don't have good signals for that. However, our microbiome 
produces a number of key compounds that trigger mitophagy for us, right? One of the sets of compounds are like urolithins. So there's urolithin A that is converted from polyphenols in the diet by key back in the microbiome. And those urolithins will go into our system, will trigger mitochondrial mitophagy and the replacement of dying mitochondria with brand new mitochondria, right? So that our cells can be healthy, can reproduce, can produce the energy we need. That critically important function we are dependent on microbes for, right? So this, if you, if you can wrap your mind around this idea that at our base, most core level, which is our cellular level, and the engines of our cell, the mitochondria, we are dependent on bacteria in our gut to make sure our engines in our cells are functioning properly. And if those bacteria aren't producing those compounds, then what happens is we age and we age poorly and, and then we develop disease. So now people are thinking, what the heck? I have to get my gut healthy. What the heck do I do? I'm scared. I, we don't want you to be afraid. We want you to be empowered. And the body and the microbiome is so amazingly resilient. So this really is a should be an encouraging message for people. But they have to take action on their health, right? They have to do something different to see something different. So what are some actionable things that people can lean into, research-backed ways, to support gut health. So there's a there's a couple of rules and tenets around what is a healthy microbiome, right? Because the microbiome is so complex and everyone's microbiome is a bit different. So it becomes difficult to say, okay, here's what you do exactly. But the good news is the research has given us really, really strong directives because the research reveals a few features of a really healthy microbiome that are universally beneficial to people. So the first, and I would argue probably one of the most important features of a healthy microbiome is a diverse microbiome. The higher the diversity in your gut microbiome, the healthier you are. In fact, there are longitudinal studies that show that the more diverse your microbiome is, the longer you live. People in their 90s who are living really healthy, lives, meaning low, no disease and all that, they tend to have diversity that's equivalent to people in their 30s. And then people in their 60s who have diversity equivalent to people in their 50s actually have more illness than those people who are in 90s that have a 30-year-old's diversity. So the diversity in the microbiome is absolutely paramount to health. And there's a number of things you can do, fortunately, to improve the diversity. And I think, and you alluded to this where you know, we don't want people to be afraid. We do want them to be aware, right? We do want them to be empowered. We do want them to realize that they have a lot of control over their outcomes because that's part of what people feel is this lack of control and being lost. So the key to all of this is all of it is an ecosystem. And because it's an ecosystem, you can change it, right? Just like if your garden in your backyard goes to crap because of poor maintenance and all that stuff. You know what to do. You can get in there and fix that thing and improve it. Same thing with your gut and your microbiome. You can fix it. You can improve it. So diversity. First thing is trying to improve the diversity of your diet. So the more variety of things you can add into your diet that you tolerate well, the better off you are. You can go to uh, ethnic grocery stores like Middle Eastern market or an Asian market, and you'll find roots and tubers and vegetables and fruits and meats there that you won't find at your conventional supermarket, right? And you don't have to become a, an expert at Asian cooking or Middle Eastern cooking. It's just buy one thing, buy a new vegetable, a new fruit, a new meat a week, and just simple saute steam. You don't have to make, make it fancy. And it doesn't have to be much, right? You can add, eat it for like two meals in an entire week. 
to add diversity to your microbiome, right? So just that simple idea of increasing the diversity within your diet itself. The second thing is intermittent fasting. So fasting, surprisingly, and it's because it's counterintuitive when you think about it, not feeding the microbiome for periods of time actually increases diversity within the microbiome because there are whole categories of microbes within the gut, within within your microbiome that only flourish when food is not constantly coming in. So there's a divide and conquer scenario going on in the gut. The way it works is when food is coming in, we have these big macromolecules of food that come in. That triggers the activation of the primary digesters. So these primary fermenters break down the big amino acids and carbohydrates and fatty acids and so on. And then they make byproducts that are secondary metabolites from the primary digestion. Now, those secondary metabolites feed a whole population of secondary fermenters. Then those microbes chomp those things down, and then they convert it to other nutrients, and then they release all of these tertiary byproducts. And then there's a whole other layer of microbes below that that start feeding on those. But if, like, let's say the third layer of microbes are starting to feed on their little tertiary metabolites, and then all of a sudden another big mass of food comes in, then the primary digestives take precedence again, and these guys all shut down. So you don't ever get proper proliferation. You don't ever get proper utilization of all of the nutrients from beginning to end in all of the sections of digestion throughout the microbiome, right? So you do want to have periods of time where your microbiome is not being fed. So that can be extremely important as well. Some of the things I tell people is you have to be prescriptive about going outside. You know, it's so important. Just that interaction with nature is so powerful for your microbiome. You know, going out for a walk or a hike outdoors in a natural environment, sitting out on your porch, it's a little better than sitting inside, but it's not quite the same thing, right? I'm going to go for a little bit of a hike. I try to be prescriptive about it myself. Like I try to prescribe myself three times, 30 minutes each time a week, at least I'm going outside, try to be within nature. That has a huge impact on your microbiome. Another thing you could do is actually taking the right type of probiotic. Well, one of the probiotics we study all the time are the spore-based probiotics uh, that just thrive. As it turns out, there are class of microbes, in this case, the spore-based probiotics, whose job it is to go in and clean up the microbiome, to actually bring down the growth of problematic organisms, increase the growth of underrepresented organisms, and actually bring about more diversity. So they orchestrate diversity within the microbiome. And then you see all of these amazing benefits because of that particular type of function. So if, if people are starting to do that, if they just increase the diversity of their diet, slowly baby steps, do some intermittent fasting, start getting outside more prescriptively, take your spore-based probiotic, just those four things alone will be a huge impact on your microbiome and then your overall health as well. I love that. The research around Intermittent fasting in the microbiome is compelling. I talk about it in intuitive fasting, in addition to what you had said so eloquently, the circadian rhythm of the microbiome is fascinating too. Like the different colonies of bacteria are higher in the morning, some are higher in the evening, and intermittent fasting is this regulator, right? This resetter of this rhythm. The spore-based probiotics, can you, you talked a little bit about it, because how are they different than regular probiotics, just so we can differentiate these? The biggest difference is the spore-based probiotics have this endospore shell around itself. And this is not a shell that we've put on or we've engineered. These are actually the same type of strains that 
the tribes that Quran was just talking about found in the soil or they find in the soil. So we've isolated Dr. Simon Cunning out of London University. He actually isolated these strains and they have this endospore shell around itself. And why that's so important is they have the ability to naturally survive the gastric system. So many probiotics on the market, in fact, the majority of probiotics that you see on the market have a difficulty surviving that gastric system. The stomach acid is meant to be very harsh and acidic, meant to be the gastric barrier. And these strains actually um, are able to survive that acidic environment in the stomach and make it to the intestines alive. When they get to the intestines, they take their shell off and that's when they go into their live vegetative cell state. And then also very different than many probiotics on the market is they stay there. Once they're in the intestines, they stay there for about 21 to 28 days where they're reading the microbial environment, where they're working through every part of the intestinal tract. And then they eventually do leave the body, but they do colonize there for about 21 to 28 days. And they make a profound change in the gut flora. And, and we've studied that quite extensively. And there's also studies to show that spore-based probiotics can really improve intestinal permeability and help with people that have leaky gut syndrome. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, that's really exciting. I'm definitely gonna let Karan um, follow up on this, but um, one of the first studies that we did after our gastric survivability study was a um, University of North Texas did a um, double-blind human clinical trial on leaky gut or you know, um, metabolic endotoxemia, the intestinal permeability, and showed that these strains actually... Um, reduce the LPS toxin level seeping into the bloodstream by about 42%. And this was just after 30 days. And um, it, it was pretty profound study. We don't know of any other um, probiotic, any other pharmaceutical that has a study of this magnitude. But I would definitely let Karan kind of go into the details of the study because it's pretty incredible what happened just in 30 days with these spores. So the spores have a very unique function and capability. And I think this is part of that symbiogenesis program, right? We talk about where microbes and humans, as we co-evolve together, we've kind of outsourced certain activities to the microbes because, again, we don't have the genetic capability to do anywhere close to everything that we need to do for ourselves. So we were smart enough to go, okay, microbe, you do this job. I'll make sure to keep eating you every single day to give you a home. And then your job is to clean up the home in such and such a way. One of the very, very interesting features of bacillus is they have the ability to increase the expression of our tight junction proteins, that complex area in between the intestinal cells, that gap that can be opened in a leaky gut. That gap is controlled by 40 different proteins that are called Claudin and Ocladin proteins. Those proteins keep that gap tight, shut, or open when it needs to be open for certain things to move through, but then pull back close and tight together. And then as those proteins degenerate from things like inflammation and toxins and viruses and bacteria and all that attack that area, those tight junctions fall apart. And then you've got this really broad, leaky openness in the gut. Now, what, what's so interesting is we don't have a mechanism ourselves of turning on our own tight junction proteins to seal that stuff back up, to go, okay, we need all those 40 proteins re-expressed so we can tighten up and shoelace all our intestinal cells back together. But in somehow these bacteria, the bacillus, when it enters into the system, it triggers our cells to express more tight junction proteins. 
to seal up the gap. And that's been done in, in numerous studies on animals to begin as far as in the 1970s and 80s, they were doing studies on this in animals, looking at how bacillus can come in and seal up intestinal permeability and then rebuild the intestinal villi structure. It has this magical capability of understanding what the gut physiology is supposed to look like and then helping our bodies regenerate some of that physiology. So that's why we thought when, when we first started working with it, we said, okay, I think the first thing we're going to study is leaky gut because it sounds to us based on other studies that have already been done that these spores should be able to seal up the gut lining and alleviate that big issue of leaky gut. And sure enough, it did in our, in our first published study. And we've done other studies since then as well that indicate the same thing, but that's a profound function of a bacteria, you know, and, and it's doing it just for us, right? So if you think about from the bacteria's perspective, you know, why does it hold genes to produce a compound that can increase tight junction expression? It's doing it just for its host and to clean up its home. It knows that when the, when the host is compromised, it's going to lose its home. And so it has all of these cleanup capabilities to fix the host home. That's beautiful. So spore-based probiotics, people are now thinking, okay, what other supplements? People want to know what supplements should they take to support gut health? And I know Just Thrive has some really smart research-backed things to, in addition to probiotics, to support gut health. What are other things that you recommend? Yeah, well, we have the prebiotics. So we feel like the the probiotic is reconditioning the gut. And so the prebiotic is, of course, the food that's going in there. And, and we didn't launch a prebiotic for a long time because we couldn't find the right fibers that would only target the beneficial bacteria. So our prebiotic was very long time for us to find, but we decided to finally launch it because we call it precision prebiotic. It actually has the ability to only target the beneficial bacteria because as you know, and many of your listeners may know that you may start taking a prebiotic and start feeling worse because it's actually feeding the pathogenic bacteria. And so ours does not, and it actually helps that diversity even more. So the spore-based probiotic alone is increasing diversity. The prebiotic is hundred times the diversity that it's creating. So um, that's really an exciting product. And then our um, IgG, which is, um, uh, IgG is of course the most common antibody that's found in our body. And it actually, these this IgG actually goes in and supports our gut and um, to help grab onto antigens and bind them and neutralize them and help leave, you know, your body will naturally have them leave the body. So um, gut support for not only immunity, but leaky gut issues. So um, that's another one. And then our gut fortify is really exciting because our gut fortify product actually helps with the mucosal layer. So we know how important the mucosal layer, layer is. And so it's helping repair that gut lining, the mucosal layer in the gut lining. The big thing that we do is we don't ever bring a product unless it's needed and missing in the market. Nobody brought head spores out before we did. I mean, we were the first, we were disruptors in the market. We really don't, we're not looking to be a supplement company that has 200 SKUs. We're looking to really... Quran says this so eloquently, but to make a human impact. I mean, to really find things that are missing and needed in the market. And like I said, you know, you would have thought as a gut health supplement, we would have brought a prebiotic, you know, right away, but we didn't. We wait to find some, you know, to make sure we're doing something that's actually having an impact on humanity. What's next in the gut health world? What's next as far as the research? What's in the pipeline? Exciting stuff people can geek out before we go. And any upcoming products. I'm excited to hear the next thing that can have a human impact for us. Yeah. So 
two areas where we as humans desperately need help, right? Area number one is with the gut-brain connection, the mood side of things. So stress management, mood, sleep, all of that. More and more of that is being studied. What is coming to be clear is that the gut influences our brain tremendously, almost as much as the brain can influence the gut. It's a two-way street. And so we've got an epidemic of mood disorders, depression, anxiety, all of these issues. And so we've actually got new strains, new species that have very powerful studies on balancing mood, actually shifting brain waves, which is fascinating when you look at it. So, you know, when you're in a flow state, people talk about this flow state, you actually are pretty theta wave dominant in your brain. And we actually have a probiotic strain that can induce theta wave dominance. And so put people in a highly focused flow state. And then it also will enhance sleep quality and reduce the duration to sleep, like how long it takes you to actually fall asleep because it shifts your brain waves and inflammatory pathways between your gut and your brain. So mood and sleep is a two big areas that we're working on and, and products are actually coming out over the next few months. Another really desperate area that humans need help with is to metabolize toxins that we have inundated ourselves with. So take, for example, BPA. BPA is everywhere. That as a chemical compound is so ubiquitous and it's a hormone disruptor. It, it's a, it mimics estrogen. It, it destroys the microbiome. There are bacteria strains that can break down BPA for you. And so we're working on that as a, as a project. We have bacteria coming out that can actually bind heavy metals in your gut and take it out of your system. It can bind lead, arsenic, cadmium in the gut and take it out through defecation. Without using clays and all that stuff that bind everything, you actually have bacteria that have an affinity for going and grabbing heavy metals and taking it out of the system. That kind of important detoxification, true detoxification of reducing the impact of environmental pollutants that we've put into the environment that we now can't get away from ourselves though bacteria are going to come to the rescue for that. That was actually a very recent article uh, that just came out. A number of university researchers discovered that waste products and sludge from copper mines, these copper mine sludge actually creates a huge toxic burden in water supplies and all that and can be very toxic to humans as well. They found a bacillus bacteria, bacillus, uh, they didn't say subtilis, but it was a bacillus, that can actually break down the, the sludge, the toxic sludge from copper mines and produce pure atomic copper out of it, which has a tremendously high value. Bacteria is going to be rescuing us. That's what's going to save us. We want to be involved in that game and we're investing a lot of time and resources into doing that kind of research to make those discoveries. This has been a special conversation. Tina, Karan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been our pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Wasn't that conversation freaking epic? It was so good. To learn more about Just Thrive and their science-based supplements, visit justthrivehealth.com. That's justthrivehealth.com. And you can save 15% site-wide with promo code Will Cole. Yours truly, just put my name. Will Cole to get 15% site-wide at justthrivehealth.com.
That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com slash podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday. And I hope you will too. Talk soon.